We welcome you to the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We believe God has a message for you today that will encourage and speak truth to your heart and life. Let's join Pastor Melanie Bertolio as she shares the word with us today. I want to talk to you tonight um, about the body of Christ. I want to start just for a moment and, and say this. We are the body of Christ. We. We. Yeah. Yeah. I am not the body of Christ. Not one of you are the body of Christ. You are a member of the body of Christ, and the, and, and the body of Christ is the church. So I'm not the body of Christ. You're not the body of Christ. We together are the body of Christ. And the New Testament church, when it uh, came into existence, it looked really different than the Old Testament church. In Acts 2, uh, starting in verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is talking about the New Testament church. It goes on to say, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together together. And had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The New Testament church looked entirely different. For one thing, you don't, you don't read in the Old Testament about evangelizing. There wasn't an effort to grow the church in the Old Testament. Now, it isn't that they didn't accept people who weren't Jews, but they weren't actively trying to spread the good news and grow the church. So, so that's one of the differences between uh, the Old Testament church and the New Testament church. And there are a lot of differences. However, um, one of the big differences, one of the big glaring differences to me about the Old Testament church and the New Testament church is this. Fellowship. Yes. There was such an emphasis on fellowship, on being together on growing together, on eating together, on praying together. And they were learning to be the body of Christ. All right? Because that that was a totally new concept to them. Totally new concept to them. And so in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 19, it says... So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are a fellow citizen. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we are members of the same household. And what do you call people who are members of the same household? We're family. 
We are family. We are important to God individually. And I don't know if, if it's... But, but in, in many ways, we're more important as, as a body of believers. We're more impactful as a body of believers. We're more able to flow in the Spirit as a body of believers who are in unity with one another. So, so we are family and we are the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special, special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We belong to each other. In the good times and bad, we belong to each other. In, in the hot weather or the cold, we belong to each other. And, and I think we really lose sight of God's plan for the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4, uh, well, let me back up and just say this. In belonging to each other, you know, I just got off of, uh, of the last two weeks speaking on overcoming offense. Why should we overcome offense? Well, quite frankly, because we've got to get over offense within the body of Christ because we're family and we have things to do. And so if we're going to be the family, if we're not going to be the, fam the kind of family that, that you see on the Dr. Phil show, and you know what? Sadly, that's what the church looks like sometimes. Sometimes we just look like we ought to just go on the Dr. Phil show. The way we, we, we talk to each other and treat each other and when we offer no grace to each other. Wow. That's not the kind of family we're looking to be. In Ephesians 4 it says, uh, starting in verse 1, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. We're supposed to... Remember last week when I talked about the... the, the, the there's a phrase in Colossians, and I can't... Uh, uh, can't think of the exact wording, but it's the same thing that it's meaning here when it says making allowance for. It means put up with each other. But here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean put up with each other's sin. See, when I love you most is when I'm willing to look you in the eye and say, okay, I don't want to say this, but you need to hear it. That's when I love you most. That's hard as family. That's when parents love their children most, is when they are telling them, hey, if you keep doing this, you're headed for destruction. So we've got to be walking in love with one another. The absolutely positively does not mean that we don't speak truth to one another because truth is the most loving thing we can give each other when we offer it with the right heart. 
And if we're not going to be that Dr. Phil family on, on, you know, that's just looking ridiculous and, 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 and making a, a mockery of God and the gospel, then we're going to have to learn to hear the truth and not be offended by it. But as a family, we can't afford to walk in offense. We've got to make an effort every day to stay united in the Spirit by binding ourselves together with peace. That's what it says in Ephesians. It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So we've got, we're supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be doing it. And it tells us how in that same passage because it says, be humble and gentle. Be patient. They sound a lot like fruits of the Spirit, don't they? Kindness, meekness. It tells us how to do it. And the last one is put up with each other. Okay, I'm going to move on because I, I, I hounded on that last week. <laughs> but we, we do that because we love each other that much. And my point is this. We are members of the body of Christ. And that means that we are part of something greater than just ourselves. God loves us individually, but his desire for us to be, his, to be family a, and to be a unit that works together for a common purpose. And, and that common purpose is to, to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're just supposed to be doing that out of hearts motivated by love. And if we're motivated by love, we don't have to fight and fuss with one another. So we're a body. I'm not, that's not what I'm teaching on tonight, but we're a body of believers. Now I want to switch gears for a moment. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 31, verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and don't panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you and he will na- neither fail nor, you nor abandon you. And in Psalm 27:10, it says, Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. And lastly, in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 20, in the second half of it, it says, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, what's common about all three of those verses is this, God never leaves us, all right? So there's, there's two things that we've talked about. Number one, we are a body of believers that belong to each other, we're family, And God never leaves us. All right? So keep that in mind. And now let's talk about uh, what I want to talk about tonight. The faith to stand alone. We're a body of believers. God never leaves us. But we need the faith to stand alone. And I think this is a concept that all of us can, can kind of quickly understand what I mean by the fact that we're a part of, of something greater, yeah, yeah. a multitude of believers, all the believers who've ever lived, yes. who are living, whoever will live, we are part of a body of Christ belonging to them. But we've got to be able to stand alone. What I do want to make sure that we understand is that what I'm not talking about is standing apart and advocating, I'm not advocating you living outside of the church, all right? I'm I'm not advocating that you say, well, you know, when I go to the lake, that's my church. When I'm sitting in the deer stand, that's my church. 
or, or mine, when I'm shopping at the mall, that's my church. Um, no, 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 no. That is not what I am advocating here because if that is, if you have ever said that, I, I pray that God has re- given you a revelation that that's not his will for us as his children. We are to operate within the, the parameters of the church and the fellowship that comes along with the church. God designed the church for that reason. And he tells us, don't forsake the assembling of, of the believers. Don't not go to church. Um, and he, he goes on, he says uh, that, that as members of one body, that when, when you know, if I'm, I'm the, the thumb of the body and I'm not there, the, the body cannot function the way it's intended to function. When, when you're not here, when you're not doing your part, somebody else is carrying a load and operating in a capacity that they weren't intended to operate in. See, as a body, optimal health cannot be maintained when we have sick or missing parts. So I'm not advocating that you, you can have church somewhere all by your lonesome, because you can't. But what I'm talking about in standing alone, the context is this, that every person in this room understands that there's just a point at which you have to say, I'm not doing that. Everyone in this room is doing that, whatever that is. But I'm not doing that. Everybody in this room is watching that but I'm not doing that. I am not going to. I mean, we're to be in the world, not of it. And I am not going to imitate the world. I am going to take an opportunity right here and I'm going to have to do it alone. I know that. But I'm going to stand up and I'm going to stand for Christ. And and, and that's what I'm talking about when I say we've got to learn to have the faith to stand alone. So what is that? What is that for you? I mean, it can be I'm not going to drink that. I'm not going to use that language. I'm not going to go into that establishment. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to take that without paying for that. I'm not going to, to meet with this person privately. I'm not, I, there's a lot of that. And I don't know what yours is. I'm not even going to give the appearance of doing that, whatever your that is. And we go, well, okay, I can can do that, I can do that, I can do that. Except for what about when it means losing your job? What about when it means your family turning their back on you? What about when it means that that you lose position and influence and power in your sphere. What then? What about when it means losing bodily autonomy? I mean, we have, have, have gone through a season in the last few years where um, there was great pressure. And I'm not... I'm not I'm not criticizing anyone for any choice they made. You've got to hear me on that. But I'm just saying, 
what about those times when the consequences are far greater than just, yeah, those people aren't going to want to hang out with me anymore. Or far greater than, oh, they're going to call me names and talk about me behind my back. No, far greater than those things. See, it's easy to make right choices when the consequences are positive or when they are relatively insignificant. But what about when it costs you something? And what about when it costs you something big? And there are people in this room, I would assume, that have, have had to make some decisions for the Lord that cost them something big. I've known a lot of people over my lifetime and, and you know, I, who, who stood firm in what the, the Word of God said about homosexuality until they had a child and it changed everything they thought and believed about what the Word said. That's not standing firm. We do everything in love. No one says that you, don't, that you stop loving your child. That's not it. But we don't condone what God hates. And we don't justify that. And so I want us to just talk for just a few minutes tonight about how to, to have the faith to stand alone. There's a lot of people in the, in the Word who had to have the faith to stand alone. Noah, he had to have the faith to stand alone. I mean, that guy had to build a boat when it had never rained on the earth. And, and we're told he was made fun of and he was mistreated and they thought he was a nut until they sucked in that water into their lungs. Noah, Joseph, people lied about Joseph. They impugned his character. It was all false. But his character never wavered. Moses, Ruth, David. You know, we think about Ruth, you think, oh, what's the big deal about that? It was a big deal. When she went to lay at, at, at the feet of, what was his name? Boaz. When she went to lay at the feet of Boaz, that was actually kind of a, a risky thing to do. When Esther had to go before the king, that was a hugely risky thing to do. She was risking her life. David, you know, yeah, there were a whole bunch of people behind him when he's standing there facing Goliath. But don't think for one moment that he wasn't well aware that they were probably all still going to live through it if he was unsuccessful. But he wasn't. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and in the New Testament, Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph had, had to stand alone. We don't think about the risk that was involved in what they agreed to. And not only agreed to, but agreed to with gladness in their hearts. Uh, Peter, Stephen, Paul... All people who had moments in their lives when they had to stand alone. And every single one of us will have that moment at some point in time. You're going to be working somewhere. You're going to be in a grocery store somewhere where, where somebody needs to stand up and stand for godly principles. And the question is, will you 
be able to do it. Here's what I can tell you. If you don't plan for it, you know, you know the saying, failure to plan. Well, if you don't plan for it, you won't be ready for it. You've got to plan. And so we've got to have the faith to stand up against the power of darkness when it invades our world. Because yeah. it, 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 it will. We are living in a world that is very hostile to Christianity right now and more hostile in this country than it has ever, ever been. And it's important that we are ready. You know, if you have my personality, I'm a people pleaser. I, I, I'm always looking for uh, approval. Um, that's hard in, in a, a group setting to say, nope, I'm not doing that. I want, it's hard as with my job at CMA. It's really hard. You know why? Because I want every kid in that school to just think I'm the best. And I want every parent to think I'm awesome. And the problem is, I can't do my job well and have that always be true. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I pretty much always got someone a little frustrated with me. I, that's not my goal. And I'm not okay with it in the sense of I don't care, because I do. But we've got to learn to be prepared to stand for those moments right. when a biblical perspective, when a, a line needs to be drawn in the sand... And so I want to just look at a few people who stood. I want to talk about Daniel tonight. And so we're going to look at Daniel chapter 6. I'm going to kind of buzz through. So forgive Susan if because I'm, I'm not going to go straight down the line here. But we're going to talk about Daniel. Um, and Daniel was um, living in Babylon under in, in captivity. Uh, this is when the, the, the Israelites have been taken into captivity. And Daniel was a, a, a godly man. He w operated in great wisdom and faith. And so uh, when you do that, you know, cream rises to the top. And so that's what happened with Daniel. And I mean, everything he w went to do, he just did it well. And, and it got noticed. And then he got promoted. And he didn't, he never had to promote himself. Yeah. He just did what God called him to do, and he just lived uh, a life of faith, and, and, and God promoted him throughout his life. And in verse 3, it says in, in chapter 6, it says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because even though he was a Jew, he got into the upper administrative side of the government under the king in Babylon. He's a slave in Babylon, but he's getting to uh, operate as someone in great authority, much like Joseph did. And so um, says he proved himself more capable, uh, and because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Again, a lot like Joseph. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful always responsible and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Does that sound familiar? I mean, we're just living in a world right now where I just feel like that's what's happening to, to, to us. Uh, 
anything that is associated with Christianity is immediately a source of condemnation and mockery. And anyone who would dare to believe in a living God and Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world is stupid. And so I see a lot of things there that we have in common with Daniel and the times that he was living in versus the time that we are living in now. So going down to verse 10, it says, but when Daniel learned that the... Oh, so anyway, so the king uh, decides to make this law. And he says, you can't pray to anyone but me. And anybody that does um, is going to be killed. Okay? And then in verse 10, it says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So then the officials, I mean, he, he did it publicly. He didn't try to hide it. He didn't get in a corner and close the, the curtain and say, oh God, help us. We're, we're really under a lot of, of condemnation right now and persecution. Just, just save us and get us out of here. He didn't do that at all. Not at all. He went to his room and he opened the door and he prayed out loud, intending for everyone to hear him. And so the officials uh, hear that he's doing that, and they go to the, uh, the, the king, and the king says, well, he's going to have to be thrown in the lion's den. I mean, the king didn't want to because he loved Daniel because Daniel was such a great uh, employee, really. And so um, the king was troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel, but he couldn't. And so, um, so ultimately, Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. And the last thing that the king says to him is this, may your God, this is in verse 16, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. And then in verse 17, it says, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. The king returned to his palace, spent the night fasting, and, and very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. Verse 20, when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you served so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? I wonder how long Daniel waited before he answered. Because Daniel answered and he said, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. And so the king is overjoyed. And in verse 26, the king says, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miracles, signs, and wonders, miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So here's what I love about Daniel. Daniel did not sin. He did not pray to King Darius. He refused. But he was able to, after having endured a night in the lion's den, which was supposed to tear him limb from limb, 
comes in the next day and, and the king says, did your God save you? And he says, long live the king. Why? Because Daniel understood that we, even in those moments of, of refusing to go the world's way, we've got to operate in respect and love for people. And so Daniel says, long live the king. God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they wouldn't hurt me. And I've been found innocent in his sight. And I haven't wronged you. See, he was thrilled to be able to say not just that he obeyed God, but that he had respect for the authority that God had placed on the earth in that moment. And and, and we know that we are supposed to respect human authority until they, they tell us to do something that goes against the word of God. But even when we defy that, we don't have to turn in to the type of people that were, were accusing him and trying to get him killed. So Daniel, man, everything worked out for Daniel, didn't it? I mean, he defied, uh, he didn't sin, he followed God, he did what he was supposed to, and it, and it says he prospered, he lived and he prospered. How great and awesome is that? So, so here's what we can know. When we, um, man, when we face trials and tribulations and, and persecution, Here's what you know. If you just hold firm, you just hold fast, God will work it all out and everything will be okay. You'll prosper and it'll be, it, everything will be great. Right? Okay, let's talk about Stephen. Okay. See, I'd love to tell you that everything's always going to work out. But it doesn't. God always wins, which means we always win. But it doesn't mean that we won't actually have to suffer legit persecution. You know, the kind that doesn't end with, and he prospered for the rest of his life, and, 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 and everything went well for him. See, in, in Acts chapter 6, Verse 5, we learn about Stephen. And it says in, in verse 5, it says that Stephen was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And then moving down to verse 8, it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed many miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen. This roused the people. This is verse 12. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. And then in verse 15, it says, At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. They bring him before the high priest. They make all of their accusations, false accusations. And what happens is they can't take their eyes off of Stephen because his face is shining as bright as an angel's. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 1, the high priest asks Stephen, are these accusations true? 
So then in verses 2 through 50, and it's very lengthy, so we're not reading it. But in verses 2 through 50, Stephen gives this very wonderful history of God's people. He starts with Abraham, and he takes it all the way up to King David and gives great detail. And why is he doing that? Because, because the lies that they were saying about him, they were saying, oh, he's telling lies, and he's blaspheming Moses and God himself. He's saying things that aren't true about the law. And so Stephen, rather than saying, that I am not, he composes himself, and for however long it would take you to read verses 2 through 50, he gives a beautiful history of the Jewish people from Abraham all the way up to King David. And then, okay, so he's been respectful. All he's done is proven them wrong. Okay, you're, tell, you're saying that I'm saying things that aren't true. Here's what I'm saying. Does anybody want to dispute that? Because none of them could dispute what he was saying. So then in verse 51, though, this is where it changes. He says this. Now he's addressing them. And he says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestor did, and so do you. See, they didn't even know about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So when they're reading that law, they're not... I mean, make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament, but they didn't have the, they still had scales over their eyes and they didn't have an ability to be able to see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and in the law. And so, so he's saying, how long are you going to resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did. Name one of your prophets or name one prophet your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed the ones uh, who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into the heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, and he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats, laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Now, my prayer is that my story ends like Daniel's, if I'm going to be honest with you. And, and the good news is the majority of people don't have to die for the cause of Christ. But some do. The majority of Christians aren't persecuted for the cause of Christ, at least not to the degree that, that we read about people being persecuted in, in the Word. So the majority aren't persecuted, but some still are. And, it's, and that number is growing. And the type of persecution is very diverse, but it's, 
It, it's persecution nonetheless. Um, so there's no guarantee and no promise that we're not going to have to endure difficult times. There is a guarantee and a promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. And when I look at Stephen, he's never screaming in fear. He's not crying out, begging God to come in and rescue him. You know why? Because he trusted God. He trusted God. He knew his God was good. No matter what he was facing here on this earth, his God was good. Since 2020, we have had many opportunities to stand, to practice standing. Because when a government starts telling us we can't have church, I mean, you think about that. You know how many churches closed permanently? It's a big number. I don't have it, but it's a big number. Churches that closed permanently because the government told them they had to. What are we going to do, not if that happens again, but when? What are we going to do? What are, what are we going to do on the job? You know, the... the uh, the postal worker won his, uh, the Supreme Court decision not to work on Sundays. What are you going to do when your job comes in and says, hey, sorry, but I know we told you you would never have to work on Sundays, but, you know, we're changing our mind, and you're going you're gonna to work on Sundays from now on. Are you going to stand? Are you going to spend your life savings on lawyers to defend yourself so that not only can you not, not have to, to go against your personal convictions, but so that others can also be victorious because of your victory? We've got to get an understanding that the time is coming when we are going to be forced to take a stand. And I don't want this to be a dark, awful thing because I don't think, I mean, I don't, I don't look at Stephen and see him fearful. I don't look at Steve, I look at Stephen seeing him being, being truthful, being respectful, and being gracious to the very end. And you know what I think? I think that's when the Holy Spirit comes in. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will enable me to en endure whatever it is that I might have to endure. And it may just people go, she's the fuddy-duddy. She doesn't like to have any fun. When I say, I'm not listening to that. I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I, okay? Or it could be when someone is threatening my life. But I think either way, I think the Holy Spirit will be all that I need in that moment to get me through that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
You got to read Daniel. If you want to talk about, if you just want to know about people who stood, read Daniel and read it and read it and read it over and over again. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the statue that was erected and, and, of the king. And, and so when they were called, and, and they dealt with the same stuff that Daniel did and the, the people that didn't like them and, and, and didn't like that they'd been promoted, called them before the king and said they've been, they won't, they refused to bow down. And, and so I want to have a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego response because they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is going to save us. He's able, he's able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, okay, still respectful, still acknowledging his authority, but saying, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. We will never do it. See, God is able to save us, and we believe he's going to rescue us from your power. But even if he doesn't, we are going to do what's right according to our faith in the one true God. I want to have a Daniel response when he could, is told he can only pray to the king, he goes up to his room and he flings those shutters wide open and starts praying out loud. I want to have that kind of response. And I want to have a Stephen response that says that I'm so in tune with the Spirit of God. See, it, it told us two or three times that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. You want to know how to stand alone? Be full of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. In, in 2 Timothy uh, verse, or chapter 1, verse 7, it says, God hasn't given us a spirit, spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength, this is Paul talking, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. See, Paul knew he was going to suffer. He was already suffering. He had been in chains. He had been in prison. But he's saying, hey, be ready to suffer. Be ready to have to take a stand, to draw a line in the sand. Be ready for that. Uh, he says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. And he did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he's made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. So here's the, the wonderful thing. Death has no power over us. So even if that's what it comes to, even if we have to do what Jesus did, which was to be faithful even unto death, even if that's what is required, death has no sting. It has no power. And there are two things in that passage, and I'm going to end with this, that it tells us to do. It says, don't be ashamed, and with the strength God gives you, be ready. And how do you do that? You fill up with the Holy Spirit. You pray in the Spirit. You pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit builds you up. You find your quiet place, 
and you pray in the Spirit. And when you think you've prayed in the Spirit enough, you do it all over again just as much. You pray in the Spirit. We do not understand the power of the Spirit of God in us when we commune with God spirit to spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, and you will operate in wisdom. You will lack, you will not lack anything. You will have no fear. And with the strength that God gives you, you will be ready. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.